Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 246. And with that number, yeah, this is a stretch, but I was so excited to finally find this number. 246, Panini Women's World Cup sticker number 246 goes to Lauren Silver with Jamaica. Uh, She was a training player in NWSL and she she gets to go to the Women's World Cup with Jamaica their first ever time to the show so shout out to Lauren Silver all right two segments today first talk to Allison Lee from Once a Metro Allison was at Red Bull Arena this past weekend for the U.S. Women's Game versus Mexico the final game before the national team heads off to France talked a little bit about the game a little bit about the send-off series in general and yeah we ended up doing a bit of ranting but i think you'll enjoy it then i had a great chat with defender amber brooks from the houston dash who i recently found out is a big game of thrones fan so with the game of thrones finale about 10 days ago she and i chatted about uh what we liked, what we didn't like, and and what are we going to watch now? Apologies to anyone who is not a Game of Thrones fan. Uh, you can just skip that part of the podcast, or at least, you know, skip ahead to the back four. All right, Jen Cooper here with Amber Brooks from Houston Dash, uh, defender, and of course the person holding the current streak for most minutes played but hey that's not why you're on the call amber is it thanks no i'm here to discuss lovely game of thrones yeah so i had no idea until right before the finale that that you were a game of thrones junkie like me when i saw you and brooke elby in the back of the house after houston chicago with elby wearing the aria shirt and you getting all excited about that so i was like oh my gosh i have to talk game of thrones with with amber brooks so tell me how you started watching the show I was actually trying to think um, recently about like when I first started watching because I knew I didn't start like when it first came out in 2011 because I was like a junior in college and I didn't definitely not have HBO subscription so <laughs> I was I was trying to think and I'm pretty certain um, my senior year of college my brother and sister-in-law moved to Chapel Hill and they were into Game of Thrones and I used to go over their place and hang out a little bit so I'm pretty sure. I started like second, maybe third season um, uh-huh. watching with them and then kind of got into, and I wasn't like, I was like, oh, it's a cool show, but I wasn't like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to be like a Game of Thrones junkie at that point. Um, and then I, I don't think I watched it like when I was in Germany, cause again, like I don't think HBO even works over there and all this other stuff. And then kind of when I got back into the NWSL, I met my boyfriend playing in Seattle and he had kind of just started watching the first few seasons back in 2015 and that was kind of just a common thing we had um so really kind of became more of a hardcore fan in like 2015 2016 um and then you know we were both dying waiting for a year and three months whatever it was for this last season to come about I know are we going to be together even by the time the, you know, <laughs> the last season comes out and, 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 you know, like I have the HBO subscription through my brother. He was going to have to get his own if things went bad. So um, it's, it's been fun to um, like have someone, I think 
Um, like it's more fun. Like people that go to watch parties are just having someone that you can bounce ideas off of. So um, yeah, that's kind of because of he was enthused about it. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get full in kind of the last, probably since season five, we've been really pretty into it. Well, and, and it's funny that I didn't really understand what a big deal it was until I started organizing dash watch parties at the Phoenix. And occasionally the first few seasons, they would conflict or run up against the beginning of the watch party, the game of Thrones watch parties that the, the, the Phoenix would host. And the intensity of all those, all the people showed up way early. You had to be, of course, completely quiet beforehand. They'd even show up early enough to see the previous week's episode. So it was just, that's that's the beginning for me of like, huh, this is, this is interesting. So I didn't really start, start watching until I, I saw the first episode. It was like free on Amazon, the beginning of 2017. And then I just binge watched from there. And so it was really interesting having seen six seasons in basically a few months to then, okay, I got that season in 20, summer 2017, but then to wait more than yeah. a year and a, a year and a half is like, Oh, this is killing me. And yeah. especially when we knew it wasn't going to be 10 episodes, it was going to be shorter episodes, granted longer, but a whole yeah. dif- different kind of pace. So, so what are your thoughts first on, on this season uh, as, as a whole, what did you like? What did, what did you not like? Um, I mean, I think overall I'm disappointed because, again, we waited so long. But I think I also had lower expectations going into it because realizing, like, I didn't know how they were possibly going to sum up everything that they needed to in sex episodes. So I was kind of like, I don't know how they would do it. So I can't really expect but I think even on top of that, it was even more disappointing. The ones like the storylines they decided to finish and the ones that they just like threw to the side. Um, so in general, I was disappointed, but I was also like, there was never going to be a way that they could do it properly with only giving themselves six episodes. Right. So that was more kind of the disappointing thing. And especially hearing like, it's literally because they wanted to go on and do their Star Wars movies. Um, so that's where it's just like boycott Star Wars because Game of Thrones <laughs> could, have, could have ended way like, and again, I'm, I'm not a writer and I don't have those skills. So it, it wasn't my show to end the way that I wanted. And I'm still not even fully know exactly how I wanted it to end, but <laughs> it was, it was just obviously like, come on like there for me it was just there were so many good storylines and things that happened in the first six seasons and then obviously season seven and eight were the ones where those you know the two producers took over the writing because they weren't based on the books um and it was like you know there's 10 episodes each season for the first six and then for the last two seasons there's only 13 episodes between them when there's 60 in the first six so it was just kind of like they, I don't think they set themselves up for success. Kind of. Yeah, and, I, I think that's yeah. a gr- that's a great way to say it because um, it is really hard when you compress compress the ending, even if it's a longer episode. You lose that kind of ebb and flow of when it's ten seasons long. And I've seen this in other shows. I was a big fan of The Wire, and similarly, their final season was ten episodes when all other seasons had been twelve or thirteen. And it did have that, that, I remember that feeling of like, 
well, this is a, this is a good finale and, and the show's well done, but it's, it's like, yeah, it seemed like that there were, you know, some, some pieces missing, but yeah, so sure. overall aside, what, what elements or what pieces of episodes did you really like in this final season? I mean, I liked how Arya really kind of came to and just was a badass. Um, you know, I've, I've never been a huge fan of Sansa. Um, like, I think obviously she went through some really tough moments. So I kind of give her a little bit more credit for coming through all those things. And, you know, I see where she's her loyalty to her family in the North and everything, you know, kind of is most important to her. So I, I can have, I have more respect for her after this season than I did in the previous. Um, yeah. I like Tyrion. I like Tyrion a lot, but I did for the first time kind of see like for how smart he is, like he does make a ton of mistakes. Um, and like kind of Danny was, you know, you've made how many mistakes and I haven't done anything, you know, you make one more, which he does. And, you know, you're going to have it. So um, I do think he's very clever and I loved like him as a character, but I am kind of like, I finally see like you, you did you as wise as you were, you made a lot of mistakes. Um, Jamie and Brienne. I love that storyline. Like still a little weird, but obviously less weird than him and Cersei. So um, <laughs> I, I think I, I love Brienne too. Um, I think she's just a total badass. Um, you know, sad to see her heart broke, but I mean, I think we all knew where Jamie's true loyalty and love was like, I thought all along he was either going to kill Cersei or they were going to die together. So I'm not surprised, you know, what ended up happening. Um, the hound for me, I liked kind of that ending between the hound and Arya. Um, I thought that was kind of a good way to, to end that relationship. Yeah. And then, um, and then he, he saved her in similarly to how he saved her before where he just said, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't follow me. You know, you, yeah. you, you don't want to die. And you know, that, it's like, and even how she said to to Jon Snow in the finale, it's like, well, you know, your queen got to Cersei first, so yeah, yeah. Arya's got you know much much bigger fish to fry, and and I love that uh, that all three of the remaining Starks, other than Bran, why well, I, I mean, depending on if you want to call Jon a Stark, got you know right. they're all, they're all off on their their own journey, so you're kind of back back to the beginning where. This, the family gets split up. So John going off to, right. to the, to the night's watch or, or North of the wall or whatever. And Sansa being queen and, and, and Arya sailing East. So I like, or West, she's sailing West yep. of Westeros. So yeah, I was, I was pleased with, with a lot of elements, especially things that, that avoided pure fan service. Like I think of Arya and Gendry, of course I would have wanted them together. It was great to see them get together, but it was also very honest that she, she's, that she said, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to be a lady. I'm not a lady. You know, you're really amazing, but I have, I have these other things to do. So that it was really yeah. honest, honest to that honest that, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, the hound was going to die. Um, and, and what you said about Tyrion making mistakes, I kind of loved it that Bran said, you're going to be my hand. And he's like, what? You know, I've screwed some yeah. things up. And he's like, yes, and you will spend the rest of your life fixing them. Which when you think yeah. about it, a government job is probably the perfect 
torture device for, for Tyrion, especially when, you know, he opens up the books, The Song of Ice and Fire, and sees that he's not mentioned in it. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> I was like, that's yeah, that... perfect. Nameless government yeah. servant. Sorry, Tyrion. That's, 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 exactly. that's, that's your destiny. Um, yeah. And, and I don't, I, I don't have the same opinion as a lot of fans that are, it's like, it's horrible what they, what they did to Danny. I'm okay with, you know, not having all of the female characters have a great ending, especially when, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't think of another show that has given so many wonderful female storylines that are not connected to romance with somebody, you know, exactly. so, so yeah. you know, so I, so I like that. Okay. So, you know, Sansa's story turned out good. Arya's story turns out good. Danny, well, she was pushed to the brink and I'm not going to say she went crazy. I'm going to say she just, a lot of things, you know, went wrong towards the end and she started to believe her own bullshit. And I, yeah. I thought that was such a powerful scene bet- between her and John. And I, and I have to admit that when he, when he stabbed her and the camera pulls back and you realize, you know, that he did stab her, I actually screamed. I was like, he has balls. He grew up hair. Oh my yeah. God. Cause I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't sure he was going to be able to pull that off. Yeah, I thought when I think it was the episode, the second to last episode when Arya, or maybe it was even before that. When actually, it it was when he's telling he ends up telling Arya and Sansa that he's actually Targaryen, yeah. and Arya makes a comment, you know, remember, like we're your family too, kind of thing. And yeah. between that and then Tyrion kind of pushing him and Arya again, like before he goes in, like talking to her, I was like, I, I feel like, and when he entered that room, I even said something to Jay. I was like, oh, I feel like a clink, Kingslayer moment, you know, and like I seen the same brace. And I was like, no, this is too good to be true. There's no way. And so like when he ended up stabbing her, I was like, yeah, but like that's, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen more than them living happily ever after but at the same time so many things that I thought were going to happen didn't in the past episodes so I was like had they lived happily ever after and ruled together I would not have been surprised but I also wasn't surprised that he ended up killing her well and and we kind of knew there wouldn't be any happy ever after I mean anyone looking for a happy ever after at the end of you know this long saga is probably watching the the, the wrong show. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that I thought about, uh, the more I thought about the finale was that scene at the end of the previous season, when Tyrion is outside the bedroom where, you know, Jon Snow and, and Daenerys are getting it on and the look on his face, it, it's like, I, the more I think about it now is like, he's realizing he's like, this was going so well and now it's taken a really weird turn out of our control, you -hmm. know? And so as kind of as exciting that was for fans where it's like, wow, you know, the ice side and the, and the fire side are getting together and this seems all great, but then, Hey, they're related. And this is, you know, it's like everything she was fighting for, everything that she believed about herself is now kind of, uh, Nolan Boyd. I mean, I, I like that the show was able to show um, something that's still very, very common in our society where a woman does something and it gets no credit and a man mm-hmm. does the same thing. And it's this, 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 it's amazing thing. Right. And, and so I thought that was shown really well where they're like, Oh my God, he wrote a dragon. And she's sitting there like, I've been writing a dragon for years. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, exactly. so I, I, I thought yeah. she she had every reason to be worried. So it's like, no, if they know who you are, I'm I'm, I'm screwed. So it was. I mean, I, it's the kind of thing that I, I think you know, with with rewatching, you know, we'll come to accept a lot of things. But I think the thing that that will always disappoint me is that having done the six episodes with some really long ones, you don't get the same um, no. kind of play of the story when you, when you do it longer, like the, the finale really felt like two separate episodes. It could have just been two mm-hmm. separate episodes. Yeah, but anyway, like, um, so, so yeah. let's, so let's move from the quote unquote reality of game of Thrones to the fantasy of game of Thrones soccer so, mm-hmm. so, so here's the question for you. If you could choose any two characters from, from Game of Thrones, preferably female, uh, to play for the Houston Dash, which ones would you pick and why? Uh, that's pretty easy. Uh, Arya and Brienne. <laughs> now, where would you play I, I, them on the field? I mean, Brienne would have to fight it out for Polks and I for a starting center back position. Okay. Um, and then Arya, I just see her like that little, either outside back or like a winger, just like bombing up and down, like cheeky, you know, like not the, not the most like physically like out, like quick, but not like, you know, you don't look at her and are like, oh, like she's, you know, just kind of like a, just like a, I don't know, kind of has that killer instinct, obviously. Kind of like, kind of like Alicia Chapman. Yeah, but like a little bit more like less brute and more like sly. Um, a little bit more like yeah. And like sneaky kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. And and which player would you not ever want to be part of the dash? Which which Westerosi national teamer would you just not want on the dash? I mean, I don't think Santa has what it takes. Like, <laughs> anything physical or I think she'd be too emotional a little bit too emotional and I mean I guess if you're like part of her family she'd be loyal to you but I could see some real issues if James is like hey we're gonna have to bench you this week you need to be a supportive teammate and I don't see her doing that so so you're what you're saying is that she probably has a career as a soccer administrator Probably, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm kind of envisioning is that she can get to go to all the meetings and and yeah, negotiate like she, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely see that. So, last question, you know, what are you going to watch now? That's a good question. I've been struggling <laughs> for days. You know, I, I feel like I've been on everything. I am looking forward to Big Little Lies season two on HBO. I think June 9th. So that'll, you know, get me, I don't know how many, I think there was only five or six of those episodes too in the first season. Um, But that's obviously a total, you know, change of tune. But again, kind of, kind of some, you know, it's it's obviously like there's more female characters um, and everything in that. So, and some well-known ones um, and taking on kind of some issues in today's world. So that'll be um, kind of the next thing I'm looking forward to. I am watching, Chernobyl on HBO too that comes out every Monday. I like, like that. I yeah. yeah I, I'm a big history buff and I have to admit I besides like when you hear Chernobyl you go, ooh, like and you think of radiation and nuclear, like 
besides that, I didn't know much about it. So I find myself like during the episode pausing, Googling and like all this other stuff. So I kind of like that for, for a change up because I am into kind of documentaries and more historical form, films. So kind of those two are holding me over for now. But, you know, I'm going to need Netflix to pick up their game a little bit with some new things. Um, <laughs> and luckily we have the World Cup coming up because that'll take, you know, quite a few hours. Of yeah, to do. Pl- pl- plenty of hours of TV for you. Well, thanks yep. so much for taking the time to talk. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk again when we get to finally see the Game of Thrones prequels in a few years. Yeah, let's hope. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Allison Lee, all the way from New York or pretty close to New York or Long Island or New Jersey. One Long, of those Island. <laughs> Long Island. Long uh, Island. Allison yeah. Lee, who covers women's soccer for Once a Metro, which of course means Sky Blue FC and also the U.S. Women's National Team. So, Allison, thanks for for joining me today to talk about both of those teams. Oh, of course. Always happy to to be on the show. So you got to go to the big send-off, the final send-off game for the U.S. Women's National Team, Sunday, Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. Great sellout crowd. I had to, I had someone reach out to me say, hey, four years ago, wasn't it a really small crowd? I was like, no, you're actually thinking eight years ago when it was like 6,000 mm-hmm. people and a really crappy yeah. game against Mexico and Lauren Holiday, then Cheney pulled out a, a late goal to win. But it's like, no, four years ago it was sold out too. Um, but mm-hmm. I think this was a much more exciting game. And some people may disagree, but I think this was an appropriate opponent right as you're about to leave. You do not need to be playing a top 10 or top 15 opponent um, in the in this match right before everybody's about to get on a plane. Aside from the fact that as Jill, Jill Ellis has told us, None of those teams are going to fly over to the U.S. for a game, <laughs> only to turn around yeah. and fly back, uh, you know, to, to Europe, which is why we had She Believes earlier this year. But what were your thoughts about not only Mexico as the final opponent, but New Zealand and South Africa? Well, I mean, Ellis has a perfectly good point. I mean, you want your players to be rested. um, And so you don't want them to do a lot of extemporaneous travel. So you're not, and and she actually hit on this in the press conference following the match as well. You're not going to have teams um, traveling to the U.S. specifically for this match. You're going to have teams that are kind of on their way through, just kind of passing through, stop, play a match, keep going to Europe for the tournament. Um, And um, Tom Stramani and the football ferns were actually in uh, New Jersey um, this past weekend for a couple of days in between the St. Louis match and then going over to Europe. Um, So that was very much the case for them. And, you know, anytime you can get a World Cup team like New Zealand that, you know, the U.S. is familiar with, they're always, you know, a pretty uh, physical team. You have some familiar faces with, like, Allie Riley, obviously, Abby Ersig. Um, Katie Bowen, then that's, that's good competition. And Mexico, I mean, it, it's still kind of a shock that they didn't qualify for this year's World Cup. I mean, 
you know, good on teams like Jamaica who were able to for the first time. But I think when this got booked, you know, a year in advance, it was probably, you know, under assumptions that Mexico would likely be headed to France as well. So um, while they're not a top contender, they're generally a World Cup opponent. And for them not to be this year, I think doesn't take anything away from them being the final opponent for the send-off series. And I think a lot of fans were disappointed that it wasn't like a, a blowout, like a 5-0, 6-0 kind of match. But like you said, historically it hasn't been in the final send-off match. But 3-0 against a team like Mexico is, is nothing to to be mad about by any means. Yeah, def- definitely not. And I'm so glad you brought up um, Mexico not qualifying because one of the things I think that gets lost in that story is not only did they – not qualify, they didn't even make the semifinals in the tournament. So they did not have yeah. the opportunity that Panama did as the fourth place team in, in CONCACAF to then go face Argentina in a home and away series and have a chance to qualify. Where I feel like if Mexico or possibly Costa Rica had ended up as the fourth place team in CONCACAF, I feel like either one of those teams would have had a much better chance at defeating Argentina over two games. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. I think back to 2015, that's the most CONCACAF teams we've ever had in a World Cup, because not only was Canada there as host, but all, you know, all four teams, our fourth place team won their playoff. Um, So you had five CONCACAF teams and this time, yeah, we just get, we just get three. Um, Another point about Mexico which I think actually makes them look bet- look better is that since they did not qualify for the women's world cup, they're already looking ahead to of course, Olympic qualifying next year, but more importantly, 2023. And so mm-hmm. we saw a lot of call-ups in this game that were you t- players who played in last year's U 20 women's world cup. Um, not a lot of your older names, especially, and again, this game did not fall in a FIFA window, so there are nope. players that they, they may have wanted to call up that they didn't call up. So, like, for Mexico, good on them. That's I think that's a good match for them to play. Um, it, it was good to see them keep it competitive. I know a lot of fans might not feel this way, but, like, to me, I, I don't need a blowout. In some cases, I don't want a blowout because it's more exciting. Mm-hmm. As just a general fan, I want the – you know, the excitement to keep going. And that was, that game Sunday was much more exciting than the send-off in 2015 or the send-off in 2011. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, if you had put Carly Lloyd in the starting 11, if you had kept Alex Morgan in, if you had kept Tobin Heath up top, they probably could have gotten, you know, Tobin could have maybe had a brace. Maybe Carly and Alex could have also gotten on the score sheet. And maybe you would have had more of a 5-0 score line, 6-0 that fans were hoping for. But also, as Jill said, following the game, it wasn't about that. One of her um, biggest kind of boxes she wanted to check on Sunday was to get players minutes. And also, they're kind of Everything she does has a purpose. I know some people think that, like, the subs don't make sense and why didn't she use all of her subs. And 
I genuinely believe, and I may get a lot of hate for this, but I really believe that there is a method to Jill Ellis's madness. We may <laughs> not realize what it is, but I yeah. really think there's a lot more behind her decisions than a lot of fans realize. She just so, doesn't want to tell us what they are. Exactly. I mean, you're not going to give all, you know, show your cards because right. I mean, you're about to go to France for the world's biggest tournament. But one of the things she wanted was to get a lot of players' minutes, but also she doesn't want to risk any injuries right before going to France. Right. So she was smart. She did what she needed to do. 3-0 is more than an appropriate scoreline for the send-off series. And, you know, Mexico, they were a challenge. They definitely were competitive. Um, Cecilia Santiago in goal, I mean, she had like – Seven, eight saves on the day, some of which were very impressive. Yes, yeah, she she made a blunder on the Tobin Heath goal, but right. you know they were. I mean, she was she was um, peppered from the very beginning. I mean, the U.S. came out on the front foot, and you know it, it looked as though they were going to score within the first ten to fifteen minutes, and I think that put a little bit of pressure on Santiago, and so she did make a little bit of and mistake that she wouldn't have in other circumstances. But yeah. it's like once Tobin scored that goal, she kind of got her head right. And then she was able to be more of the consistent keeper that we're used to seeing out of her. Um, but she was so much fun to watch in goal. And um, just the fact that, like you said, they Mexico did have a lot of the younger players, a lot of the former U-20 players. Um, I mean, this is such valuable experience for them, and I was very impressed with what I was able to see out of them. And there's a, there was a lot of, um, you know, pressure, and there was a little bit of, you know, bunkering at times. But I think there was enough of variety in how they play that it was a really good preparation for the U.S. because they're going to be playing teams with a variety of different styles. Right. All throughout the tournament. And so, I mean, you you want that What you're, you know, about to get ready to leave. And that's a really good point, too. It was three very different kinds of teams. But let's let's talk Mexico specifically. It was basically her starting lineup, save for resting Haran just to be safe. We did see Haran in the second half. So Mew is taking mm-hmm. Haran's place in midfield. But that's clearly starting 11 don't you think oh absolutely and I think you know Haran everybody wondered had she picked up an injury had she you know uh tweaked her previous injury again but like you said they're really just managing her minutes making sure again she's as healthy as she can be at the start of the tournament um but I think also Sam Mewis brings a different style of playing and a little bit of a different skill set than Haran does. And so based on the opponent or what Jill's game plan is, I think she might slide Mewis in um, to the starting 11 as she thinks it would be, you know, more beneficial to, to the U S but I do think that Haran, I personally like what Mewis brings uh, to the starting lineup, but Ellis definitely prefers Haran. And, I mean, you really can't go wrong with either one of them anyway. But for the most part, yeah, that's that's going to be a starting 11. We see a lot from the U.S., especially in the knockout stage. 
And couldn't you almost see them being twin towers? I mean, couldn't there be a way where they're they're both in the midfield? But I guess it, it does come back to who are you playing and, and what works best against that team. Yeah. Well, you know, and a lot of people questioned even Rose Lavelle um, being in the starting 11, but she was so dynamic in the first half, especially with all of the opportunities that she was creating for herself and for other players. And she was, she was kind of mad at herself after the game in the mix zone. Somebody commented on like the shot she was taking and all that. She's like, yeah, I sent them right to the keeper. Like I got to do better than that, especially in France. Like, so she was kind of mad at herself for not maybe making more of the opportunity. But um, I mean, she, she's been a player who obviously has battled injuries um, since she turned pro, since she came to the NWSL and really saw consistent time with the senior team. Um, But on Sunday, she was so much fun to watch because she was everywhere with the ball and creating so many different chances and different looks uh, for the front three and for herself even that, if anyone questioned why Ellis was starting Lavelle, I think she silenced those those critics on Sunday. Yeah, it, I mean, it. We we've seen what she can do. We just haven't been able to see it consistently. And I feel like as long as she is not in a position where she has to have a lot of physical defensive duties, <laughs> she, she should yeah. be fine. You know, it's it's like finding everybody you know, their, their right place. And, and of mm-hmm. course with, with that in mind, we do need to talk about what we got 20 minutes of, of Tobin Heath at left back and Hey, it's not that she's not capable as left back, but it still, I think drives us all crazy that it's like, really, really, we need to put Tobin yeah. there. <laughs> you know, I'm mad about this. Okay. I'm actually not mad about this and I might again, <laughs> People are going to think I'm crazy, but this was part of Ellis's kind of crazy scheming. She said after the game that they're kind of overly preparing for this World Cup because they had a few curveballs thrown to them in 2015 with like Rapino and Holiday getting their yellow card suspensions and having to sit out a very important match. And that's when you had Morgan Bryan really kind of start to make an impact and that kind of forced change really kind of revitalized the U.S. lineup. And honestly, I don't know if we would have won if Ellis hadn't had to make those changes and kind of think outside of the box. So she's already kind of doing that and doing kind of working through kind of the worst case scenarios. She said that all of the subs were already planned out uh, before the you know kickoff but crystal dunn had been playing on a little bit of a stiff ankle and so they decided to go ahead and pull her out earlier than they were planning but they didn't want to use a sub for that so they decided to push tobin back to left back and then put a, a, a new attacker up front and i'm not like i said i'm not mad about that because in a world cup scenario if she is out of subs or you know, defensive depth, I feel like we're weaker uh, depth-wise defensively, especially at outside backs, than we are, like, with forwards. So I'm okay with, you know, 
you know, well, not okay with, but let's say that we've, we're down to one sub. We don't really have another outside back that can go in, push Tobin back, put somebody up top who can do what, you know, Tobin can do, although not the same way that Tobin does it. And, you know, I, I think Tobin can hold her own there. Would I prefer to see that happen? No, I really pray that we don't see <laughs> Tobin at left back at all during the World Cup. But I wasn't mad about it on Sunday because I think it let Ellis see what she needed to see. And I honestly, I mean, it worked. Um, was it pretty all the time? No, but it was effective. It worked. We, you know, the U.S did get the clean sheet. So I think in a worst case scenario, I'm okay with that. And I, I get why Ellis decided to do that on Sunday. Yeah. It's, it has to be said that this is a much more versatile squad than we have seen go into a women's world cup in a long time, especially when you think this is only the second world cup where you're allowed to tw- bring 23 players because mm-hmm. you know, since, since 2015, the world cup is, is an extra game longer. Um, you know, so I, I like that there's that versatility and, and even flexibility in lineups because you, we are going to play a lot of different styles and a lot of teams have evolved. I, I don't know if you got a chance to see, France, Thailand, it's friendly over the weekend, but, you know, Thailand, it was a 2-0 game for most of the game. And France got to step one in at the end, so 3-0. It's like, this is not the Thailand of 2015, you know, and I yeah. think a lot, of, a lot of fans are going to be, a lot of U.S. fans might be surprised at how tough Thailand and Chile will be. I mean, you know, Chile, we paid them, played them twice last fall. Um, granted, n- no offense from them, but they've certainly learned how to play defense and they've got an excellent keeper. So it, you, you oh, do yeah. need to have more tools, you know, at, at your disposal. So, but let's talk about the, the ambiance. Like, you know, again, second time with the send off game right before the world cup that it's sold out. It's at Red Bull arena, you know, so mm-hmm. great to see going crazy and, and, you know, ESPN adding an extra half hour to the broadcast and then staying on extra to, show the, you know, how they uh, introduced each player by name and gave Carly an Mm -hmm. extra welcome because, you know, she's the Jersey girl. (laughs) And and of course, if you look on social media, you see all the stuff that was happening in New York, aside from media day, just like stuff in Times Square and stuff like that. So it's, in a way, I'm thrilled by all of the the brouhaha. But at, at the same time, you know, I think about what you know, what all the other teams are doing, you know, their final preparation game is in Europe, you know, which, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's like you go ahead, you get settled, you have time to adjust and then you play a game there. And, you know, clearly that was not something that, that Jill Ellis was allowed to do because as we all know, U.S. soccer basically <laughs> funds the program saying uh, off the money they make as opposed as, you know, basically saying we're not going to pay for things unless you guys make money, which is not how it works in, in other situations. So, you yeah. know, I, I love all of that, that, that pomp and circumstance around it, but I think it does take away a bit from, hey, bottom line, it should be what's best for our chances to win the Women's World Cup. And I think sometimes the marketing rock starness kind of gets gets in the way of that you know not that those things shouldn't be there but I, I feel like 
bottom line, what's best for, for the game, the sport, the players, you know, we, you think back to that first world cup in 1991 and how games were played every other day with travel on the off day. And then they're wondering why the players are so tired at the end of the tournament, because that wasn't scheduled with the sport or the players in mind that was scheduled with a, well, we need to do this tournament, but we need to keep it as cheap as possible. So if we do it in two weeks, cost us less for travel, (laughs) you know? So that's why it's like, we've evolved obviously a lot, (laughs) a lot from that. (laughs) But, but to me, I'm, I'm watching this and and I'm like, this is exciting, but we're losing like, is this really best for the players? But I don't know. Am I going to get a lot of hate for that? Or do you kind of see what I'm saying? <laughs> We're just going to be hated I mean, after I, this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think actually um, a lot of fans I've seen on like social media expressing similar concerns um, that maybe it's too much back to back, not giving players enough time to like rest and relax. Um, all the like hooping and, you know, hoopla um, and whether or not with all the like media appearances and stuff, like, is it hyping up the World Cup or is it already kind of like celebrating how the U.S. is going to do at the World Cup? Um, but the players will, you know, they'll be the first to tell you that the celebration is over. And they they actually kind of said um, Sunday's send-off match was kind of a weird mix of both celebration for having, like, made the World Cup roster, but also a turning point of, okay, now it's time for business. And so a lot right. of them, you know, when asked about, like, the excitement of making the World Cup roster, whether it's their first time or their fourth time, as is the case with Carly Lloyd, um, you know, they all said, like, yeah, it was fun. It was great to get that call, but... I'm ready to do work. Like now that we are done playing. Yeah. Now that the send off series is over, like thanks for the fans uh, for coming out, but we know where our focus is and that's now on the world cup and it's going to be a long tournament and we've, we've got a long way to go still. So with that mindset, I was okay with it because the players could separate it and they didn't seem like overwhelmed or exhausted by the whirlwind of media day and all of the, the appearances in New York city. Um, I mean, they played a match at with a 12 noon kickoff in 91 degree weather. I I was thinking about that too, because I think what a lot of us haven't realized because we're only looking at the U S kickoff times for the world cup, the bulk of these Mm -hmm. games that the U S women play are going to be 9 PM local time. So they'll be, they'll be two o'clock central time, three o'clock Eastern, 9 PM France. So yeah, I was thinking like, this isn't, this isn't emulating a natural time that they would play either. Not at all. And and I do want to throw in one one other wrench because you know we're you and I are just trying to get people to hate us. Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I have to say it that so New Zealand, uh, you know, they've been training in the U.S. Abby Ursag and Katie Bowen returned to their NWSL teams to play. <laughs> yep. I'm just going to leave it at that. Let's let's move on. So, um, <laughs> so I want to throw this one out to you. Um, Allison, since you were at that game of Red Bull Arena on Sunday, mm-hmm. imagine that 26,000 
crowd, you know, all those fans. Imagine if before the USA game, they were treated at no additional cost to a Sky Blue versus Portland Thorns NWSL match, that that was a double header. And, and that, you know, there were NWSL ads and displays, you know, on the PA, on the big board, on the signboards, not just NWSLsoccer.com, but like an actual ad with highlights from the season and like, oh my God, look at Sam Kerr, look at Lindsey Horan, look at Shana Matthews, you know, look at all these players. And that there was, you know, something about Sky Blue handed out, uh, that there was NWSL merch for sale. And, and even this, that everybody that bought a ticket via, via online that, you know, obviously your, your email is then captured by us soccer that, Hey, then those emails were shared with sky blue. But I I mean, am I high or am I just dreaming? (laughs) I mean, I think that one for a team like sky blue that doesn't have uh, a men's side that is paired with the way that like the Chicago Red Store uh, stars do with like the fire or like the right. do with NCFD. Like, I think that that is a really smart way of doing a double header um, because you don't again have them inside that you could naturally do one with. Um, it's also a way to get them to be able to play in Red Bull Arena, which a lot of fans have been asking. But of course, it's that's going to be such an exorbitant cost if. Sky Blue is the one that's having to pay to open up the stadium. Pay and you're not going to have 26,000 people, so you're not even going exactly. to have, really have a chance to make your money exactly. back. Yeah, so to have U.S. Soccer, who is a major partner for, you know, one of the major sources of funding for the NWSL, say, hi, we'll present this opportunity and pay to have the stadium open, staffed, all of that. And then, like you said, you have 26,000 fans, an opportunity to watch these two clubs play. That could actually bring more awareness to the league because there are still U.S. soccer fans that don't know that the NWSL is a thing or that there are teams nearby or who some of the players that they can watch. And even if people come late after the game started or if the game's after, leave early or whatever, you're still going to have more people in attendance than a lot of NWSL teams have on a regular basis there. And that could be a very strong promotion for not just Sky Blue or Portland, but for the league, you know, in general, yeah. there were a lot of people that traveled good distances to be at this match on Sunday right. because it was the final one before the World Cup. And so, you know, that's a prime marketing opportunity, and there was nothing for the NWSL. There were no mentions of it. Um, there were minimal mentions of it on the broadcast, unfortunately, as well. So even viewers at home didn't really hear a lot about it. And I get that it's for the World Cup. So a lot of people are, you know, probably like, oh, well, this is about the U.S. Women's National Team. But and, also, and it's ESPN that doesn't have any rights in, in NWSL. Exactly. But, but yeah. yeah so they're but, not but, US, but it's like, U.S. soccer's them. game. Yeah, but it's U.S. soccer's yeah. game. They, they can say, you know, you got the rights to this game and in exchange you're going to do blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it's it's exactly. funny because one of the things I've been thinking about lately is – 
Uh, I've seen a lot of fans over over the last few years and in media too say, you know, we need to sever the relationship with U.S. soccer so NWCL can do its own thing. The more I've learned, um, especially after listening to the the ESPN 30 for 30 podcast about the WSA, more I've learned about how much money U.S. soccer has sunk into MLS, how much aid they have Mm -hmm. given to MLS, because just like NWSL is providing the pool that builds the U.S. women's national team. MLS obviously is building, you know, the pool that, that keeps um, adding to the men's team. Like yep. uh, now, now I'm like, no, there doesn't need to be a separation. We're that's way too early. You don't have the deep pockets, mm-hmm. you know. Bottom yeah. line, if, if we didn't have the three billionaires of Robert Kraft, um, yeah, that Robert Kraft, um, Lamar Hunt, <laughs> and, and Phil Anschutz. MLS wouldn't exist. It was those three billionaires, deep pockets who were willing to pay whatever they needed to pay as long as possible to keep it going. And because they were willing to make that commitment, us soccer said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep paying for things. We've not seen that on the NWSL side, especially in situations like Sunday's match where here's a perfect opportunity for us soccer to help something it's paying for. It's like, Stop, yeah. complain, stop complaining about the money you're spending on it saying, oh, we support women's soccer. It's like, n- you know, n- no, you don't. And, you know, and I don't blame ESPN for not putting stuff in their podcast, uh, in, sorry, in their yeah. um, broadcast because they don't have the rights to own yourself. But there's no reason that those 26,000 people at the stadium who made that trip in, whether it was near or far, they need to know, hey, there's a team in New Jersey. Hey, Carly Lloyd, who we just celebrated for being Jersey Girl, plays on a team in New Jersey. And you can go see her play on almost a weekly basis for a really affordable ticket. And the NWSL has more players in the World Cup than any other league in the world, you know, so it's, it's that mm-hmm. kind of thing that watching that, that's why, you know, I get, I get so frustrated because it's, it, it's an opportunity lost. And it's, it's also that kind of thing that, you know, you can use the, the cliche of a rising tide lifts all boats. It's not like helping out NWSL or helping out Sky Blue is going to hurt the national team, you know, just like yeah. anytime you do a double header, both sides make more money because you shared the cost and then people are like, oh, I didn't know I could buy. It. I mean, imagine if there were Sky Blue T-shirts at that game. Same as, yeah. hey, hey, U.S. Soccer, why don't you work with Sky Blue and have some World Cup gear at their games? You know that kind of. Yeah, here I am on my on my soapbox again. But uh, but I know you're up here. <laughs> I know you're up here with me, Allison. So, oh, so let so let's wrap it up before we go too crazy. Any last thoughts <laughs> on on that game against Mexico, or just thoughts on the team as they? They head off to France. Well, I will say uh, Sunday's game did a very good job of not just hyping the fans up for the World Cup, but also the media. Um, you know, it's it's been a long time since 2015, and a lot. You know, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster with the NWSL, but you know, Sunday's match really, you know, with all of the hype, all of the, you know, player introductions, the music, um, you know, American Outlaws, the National Anthem by, you know, the World War II veteran on his harmonica. Oh, that was awesome. All of the touches, like, I, like, 
I'm ready. Like, can the World Cup start tomorrow? Like, that's where I am now. And <laughs> and that's exactly what you want with the send-off theory. So I, I don't think it could have been, you know, much better than it was. Yeah, it did. It did give chills on a, on a lot of parts. So, Allison, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk. And, and of course, for, for doing the coverage that you do, because like a lot of Woso Media folks, it's something you're doing on the side of your regular job. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. and here's and here's to a, an exciting World Cup for all of us. Absolutely. Time to wrap it up with the back four. Of course, Women's World Cup 2019 edition starts in just over a week. Final team rosters are set. So next week, uh, before everything starts, you're definitely going to want to check out KeeperNotes.com for all kinds of fun Women's World Cup links and downloads. And I also recommend following the Women's World Cup coverage provided by Equalizer Soccer, Guardian, The Athletic, Associated Press, ProSoccerUSA.com. Some of those may require a little bit of money, but it's definitely worth it. And as I always like to say, put your money where your soccer is. Speaking of putting your money where your soccer is, I know a lot of people bought tickets for France and got their tickets and found that they weren't next to each other. So two suggestions. One, um, an American fan has set up a Twitter account called Fix the Seats WWC. The idea behind this account is to create a place where supporters can come together and work to exchange tickets, hopefully resulting in family reunification, quote unquote. Um, And of course, spread the word not only to other fans, but to media and people that cover this kind of thing that this needs to be taken care of. And, you know, FIFA and the French Federation can't just go, yeah, whatever, it's all fine. So I would tweet your ticketing issue if you have one to fix the seats WWC. I would also recommend emailing the French ticketing agency that was hired by the World Cup Organizing Committee to do all the tickets. That email is contact at ap2s.fr. They're probably going to have some translation issues, but still, I would send an email. They need to know that this is not acceptable. Also, as you're getting ready for the Women's World Cup, obviously you're thinking about merch, you know, because right now it's really all about buying stuff. I mean, it, at least it is for me. I've already dropped a load at, at Nike and, and other places. So Nike.com, Nike clearance stores even, USsoccer.com, even Target and Old Navy are getting in on the World Cup action. But if you need customization, like adding three stars to a men's jersey or getting a specific name number set on a USA jersey or finding an obscure item, maybe even a goalkeeper jersey, I suggest reaching out to the manager of Soccer for All in Houston. That's the soccer store that I used to manage. All you have to do is send an email to sean at soccerforall.com and tell him that Jen Cooper sent you. That's sean, S-H-A-W-N, at soccer, number four, all.com. And last, certainly not least, my NWSL Almanac. The printed version is available, ready to ship. You can buy just the print version. You can buy print plus PDF, or you can just get the PDF. So you can purchase now at keepernotes.com. This book, more than 300 pages, so many hours of my blood, sweat, and tears, and 
proofing and photos from other great people, please check it out. There is a preview link too at keepernotes.com. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. Appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate everyone who posts a review or shares it with a friend or tweets about it. It's all good. Just keep paying it forward because we're doing it for the good of the game. And of course, many thanks to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl. You know she's anybody's girl.